It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello, and thanks for tuning into the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges mindsets and paradigms that hold us back. This podcast is aired on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. I have the pleasure today um, of having a special guest in the person of Dr. Mark Crawford. Dr. Crawford is a clinical psychologist, he's a consultant, he's a speaker, author of several books, and he's been featured a number of times uh, on CNN, uh, ABC's Good Morning America, ABC's World News, CNN's Heartline News, and a number of other local networks. Dr. Crawford joins us from Atlanta, Georgia, to talk to us about the importance of self-care. Dr. Crawford, thank you so much for coming on the Time with Fred podcast today. Great to be here, Fred. Happy to talk to you. Same here. Is there anything I left in that introduction, Dr. Crawford, that you'd like to share with our um, audience before we get started? I think you covered it. I've uh, been practicing for about 31 years and uh, do a variety of, of things, work a lot with individuals and families. I do some consulting. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much covers it. That's awesome. So Dr. Crawford, self-care, what exactly is self-care and why is it important, especially given what we're going through right now in, in our world, really? Yeah, yeah, right. So I always like to start with saying what self-care is not because that term is used so often it, it gets diluted and, and people have associations to, to the word. Um, many people, particularly driven, ambitious people, think of self-care as, as sort of weak or soft or, you know, that's what people do when, you know, they're just not very driven and that, they could not be further from the truth. Um, self-care is not just important, it's really essential if you want to function at your optimal level in terms of health, well-being, relationships, and work. Um, and I use the analogy of, you know, if you buy an automobile and you want to drive it for a long time, you really have to maintain it. You have to take care of it. You have to change the oil at the right time. You have to keep the tires inflated. You, you, you know, anything that, that starts to, you know, deteriorate, you, you catch it early and you, and you, you attend to it. And that's very much like what it was like for us. We get one body. Uh, I heard, um, I think it was Warren Buffett talking to a group of high schoolers one time. And he said, imagine that I will buy you the car of your dreams. Any car you want, when you get home, it'll be in your driveway. The catch is it's the only car you'll ever have. And he said, what you would do is you would take care of that. Like it, you, would, you would baby it. You would park in the garage. You would change the oil at the right time because you know it's the only one you'll have. Well, We've been given one body and one brain, and it's the only one we'll have. So why wouldn't we take care of it so that it lasts and functions as well as it can? So I think self-care is, is not soft. It's not weak. It's not indulgent. It's really respecting and appreciating that this is what we have. And if we want to use it well and use it for a long time, we really have to be intentional about making sure we're doing self-care practices intentionally. You know, you mentioned this um, negative connotation, right, which, which I think brings to mind. I was having this discussion, discussion last night uh, with a, a police officer friend who uh, was telling me how this, this challenge is so prevalent, especially when it comes to, you know, self-care, um, emotional well-being, because there is often this mindset that seeking that type of help uh, portrays them as weak, right? And so a lot, of, a lot of us shy away from that because of that perception. But... Studies actually show, and I think um, you had mentioned this um, 
during one of your talks that there is a direct correlation here between stress and disease, right? And I think this is called the uh, psychoneuroimmunology, right? right. Can, you, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So uh, stress is another one of those words that people kind of just take for granted um, and, and, and just sort of, well, we all have stress and, you know, it's just something we, we live with. And it's true, everyone experiences stress um, to some degree from different sources a lot of the time. But, but there's different kinds of stress. There's positive stress and then there's negative stress. Positive stress is the kind of stress that actually activates me to function at a higher level. So for example, if, I have, uh, if I'm going to give a big talk in front of a lot of people, I'll feel some stress, but the stress motivates me to prepare, to do the research and to deliver it in, in, a, in a good way. Negative stress, however, is not good. What that means is um, it's stress that, that really feels uh, out of our control. It's not prompting us toward any positive action. It's often unrelenting, meaning we just don't see an end to it. Uh, and and there, there's no, we don't really have support to deal with that. That kind of stress is what we call toxic stress. And what we know, psychoneuroimmunology is the field of study that looks at the connection between what's going on with our, our really our brains and minds and how our physical body functions. And the research is very clear that when we experience either long-term chronic toxic stress or if we experience really acute severe stress like in trauma, it does lower our immune functioning, or in other words, our ability to fight off disease and puts us at greater risk for the development of physical maladies, uh, whether it's high blood pressure, um, heart attack, or even some kinds of cancer. So there's very direct link and it would be unwise to discount stress as having little effect on our physical well-being. Hmm. And this is not something that just happens, right? In order for us to be able to manage the stress, it's, you mentioned that it has to be active and it has to be intentional. Are right. there any, any practical ways uh, that we can deal, deal with them? With the yeah, stress? a lot. Yes, very much so. so. So, you know, all of us, I think, would say our stress levels are higher than five months ago, right? Mm -hmm. No one saw this coming. We're in a pandemic. Um, you know, the economy is, 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 is less certain. Um, many of us, uh, many people have, have either lost jobs or their, their, their vocations are, are being negatively impacted, uh, quarantining in some areas of the country. So our stress levels are all up. So this is a time when we really have to tune into and, and be intentional about self-care. I always tell people, let's start with the basics. And the basics have to do with things like sufficient sleep. Um, there's a whole body of literature on the negative impact of sleep deprivation. Um, and when we're stressed, we tend not to sleep as well. Uh, so for most people, uh, the magic number is you don't want to get less than seven hours of quality sleep on an ongoing basis. Some people need more, but few people can get by with less than that. So making sure we uh, carve out time, practice good sleep hygiene habits, um, that is just essential for functioning at our best level. Uh, the second thing is our, our, our diet, right? Uh, eating healthy foods, you know, our body runs on fuel and we need to make sure we are uh, fueling it properly. Exercise, which, you know, everyone knows is, is good for us, but it's particularly good at helping dial down our experienced stress levels and helping us cope better with those. 
Um, those are, uh, the final thing is avoiding self-sabotaging behaviors. Um, when we're under stress, we tend to default to things that make us feel better temporarily. However, those things oftentimes make our overall stress levels worse. Uh, and those include things like substance abuse, um, too much caffeine, et cetera. All of those things are sort of the, I call it the low hanging fruit. Those are within our control and those are things we can do. Then we have to really look at what we call our mindset, right? In other words, how are we approaching the, the circumstances in our life from our, our perspective or, or the way we're thinking about it? And this goes back to the, all the way to the Stoic philosophers, you know, Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus and, and Seneca, who really said um, the events of our life uh, are, are, are really less important than the way we think about those events or the way we respond to those. And then, uh, you know, in the 1940s, Viktor Frankl, who is a yes. uh, yeah, great, uh, love Viktor Frankl, wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was, uh, uh, for your listeners who maybe haven't read him, he is an Austrian psychiatrist who is a victim of the Holocaust. He was actually uh, in a concentration camp. And out of that experience, he wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning, because he noticed that people in the most unimaginable circumstances, uh, some people, it destroyed them, but some people actually not only survived, but thrived. And uh, one of his quotes that I use often is, he said, you can take everything from a person except the last of the human freedoms, the freedom to choose yes. your attitude in any given set of circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. That really illustrates the power of our mindset when we go through adverse circumstances. I love, I love Frankl, and I think I have that book uh, sitting behind mm. me here. Uh, in, in the Everyone could. <laughs> <laughs> and he also mm. talked about Epictetus. One of the quotes that, that, he, uh, that he has uh, that I love so much is that it's, it's not what happens to you. There may be several other people, but, uh, but I think this is mostly attributed to him, that it's not what happens to you, but it's, it's how we react, right? And oftentimes, right. It's, you, you hear people say, well, I don't, I don't have any control about that. Is there anything I can do? But but, but we do to some extent, right? There are some things, you know, whether like what's going on, we can't control, but, uh, but there are some things too that lies within our, within our ability to control, right? Would you agree? And that's part of choosing the mindset, right? So, so the, the, um, the positive psychology literature, uh, which is relatively new, it comes out of the work of Martin Seligman and his colleagues at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and, and just a note on that, what, what uh, the origins of positive psychology were uh, Martin Seligman, when he was president of the APA, uh, he said, you know, our profession forever has focused on how to take people who are suffering and help them not suffer. He said, what we've not done well is help people learn how to go above the zero line and how to thrive or how to live their best life. And so that became his focus is let's just, let's go beyond just how to not be miserable. Let's look at what factors scientifically help people to thrive, and that is what positive psychology is all about. And in that literature, it talks about really um, generally one of two mindsets, what he calls a pessimistic mindset or an optimistic mindset. And, and that is not what most people think of when they think of optimism and pessimism is do you see the glass half empty or full? That's too simplified. What it really means is in a pessimistic mindset, we are focused more on the things that we really have no control or agency over, meaning we can't do anything about it, 
we're really sort of failing to see the temporary nature of circumstances and, and, and kind of lose hope that things will get better. Uh, and, and that creates this downward spiral. In an optimistic mindset, what we're doing there is we're not denying the negative things that are going on, but we are aware that those things are temporary and there are aspects of it that we can change. Um, you know, the serenity prayer is great for this. You know, God, give me the serenity to accept the, the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So even in the most difficult circumstances, as in a pandemic, what I have to be very clear what can I control? What can I not control? Well, I can't control how long this will last. I can't control, um, you know, whether or not they come up with a cure or a vaccine. What I can control are things like, what are the things I can do to take precautions to make myself as safe as possible? Um, how do I practice good self-care uh, through this? Um, how do I uh, keep focused on the things that are still going well and not let one adverse circumstance bleed into all the positive. Those are the kinds of things that really um, differentiate the, the two mindsets. I love that. You, you mentioned uh, Dr. Uh, Martin Seligman, mm -hmm. that book, Learned Optimism, which I, I, I had, I read this years ago. One thing he says here, he, he writes that, and I quote, that um, optimism has an important place in some, not all, but in life. It's, it's not a panacea, but it can protect you against depression, raise your level of achievement and it can enhance your physical well-being and it's it's a far more pleasant mental state to be in uh, right. than, than pessimism and i think that it underscores what you said uh, a short while ago uh, right. one of the studies uh, uh dr crawford that 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 you, you you cited in your in your talk um a while back it was actually a study uh harvard study about the quality of relationships between uh, two groups of people. I think there were two people that were followed right all the way to the 80s. Do you recall that study? Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, it's 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 from it's it's from Harvard. It's one of the more um, it's one of the better long-term studies that 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 we have on just overall well-being and health. And and in that study, they followed two groups of men uh, from really their 20s into their 80s. Uh, and they, and, and they, I mean, they really studied them. They would follow up with them regularly. And they looked at things like medical records. They uh, assessed quality of their marriages and their uh, relationship. They, looked, they took their um, uh, self-assessed mood, uh, just so many variables. I mean, this is a very uh, sophisticated and robust study. And what they found is they found that there was one thing that predicted wellness into uh, your senior years more than any other variable. Uh, and that, and by wellness, I mean, not only how people felt emotionally, but how they functioned physically. And it was the quality of their relationships. Um, people who, who had and maintained good quality relationships with other people fared much better. They live longer and they live better lives uh, and they're happier. Um, so I think we have to really really make sure we take stock in the value and importance of the relationships in our life. Um, there have been other studies that have been consistent with that, meaning, uh, for example, people who um, reach out to help other people um, find that their moods are better and, and they, they, they're just happier people overall. So uh, when people that I work with are transitioning to retirement, one of the things I say is, as you prepare for that, make sure you value 
the importance of having a network of relationships available to you because that is going to be more important than you think. Wow. And, and when it comes to gratitude, right? I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And again, we're not looking at things from just purely rose-colored glass or just considering life as a Pollyanna, but gratitude that, that pays, that does pay, uh, play an important role, right? In how we take care of ourselves. You know, sometimes we get, we become so fixated on everything that's going wrong that we fail to recognize or count the little blessings uh, in our life, right? That we need to be thankful for. Uh, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, that's so important. So, um, and, and this is part of that optimistic mindset is the discipline of taking inventory of what is going well and experiencing gratitude. You know, you, you said, and I think this is important, a lot of people hear, you know, an optimistic mindset and they say, oh, well, that's just sort of not living in reality. And you know, I've had people say, well, I'm a realist. You know, I can't be an optimist. Yeah. I'm a realist. Being an optimist is, is not, is not the, it, it doesn't mean you're not a realist. Optimists fully acknowledge the reality of their situation, even the negative aspects, but they're able to really be uh, point out and take inventory of the things that are going well and that they are grateful for. Um, they don't do what we call negative filtering. Negative filtering is a cognitive distortion, which means you know it's almost like we have a filter in, in our minds that that sees the things that are going poorly or not going well, but we're sort of not letting through the filter the things that are going well or that we're grateful for. Um, you know, I often have people uh, imagine that I'm going to say for the next week, I want you to count every time you see a white car. And at the end of the week, you will bet everything you own that there are more white cars being driven than any other color. Oh, yes. Yeah. Fine. But this week, before you take, before I take your bet, I want you to count blue cars. And then they'll come back and say, okay, I'm glad you didn't take my bet. I'm convinced there are more blue cars. Point being, we find what we look for and that creates our perception and our reality. So what you mentioned about a gratitude list, I mean, it's called a lot of things, but it's really taking inventory of the things that are going well and that I'm grateful for. Um, you know, Seligman has a simple technique, you know, for folks who maybe want to try this out. I think it's really worth doing and it's very simple. Um, he, he calls it the what went well exercise. And um, he teaches graduate students. And one of his assignments is he'll say for the next 30 days, at the end of each day, I want you to write down just three things that went well that day. They don't have to be huge, but they just went well, little positive events, and then reflect on why they happened. At the end of 30 days, he assesses their mood before the assignment and after. And historically, everyone's mood is higher at the end of the exercise. And then when he says, okay, you're, you're done with that, you don't have to do anymore, most will continue to do it because they feel like it is helpful to them. So it's a very simple thing, but it really does help kind of create that sort of discipline of, I need to look for the good things that are happening. I need to take inventory uh, and I need to, I need to um, uh, you know, uh, credit to them. I need to, you know, to acknowledge them as being valid. Yeah. A friend of mine actually calls that, he calls it stacking, 
stacking his wins. And, and he says, Fred, I, I make it a point to stack my wins. Another one tells me that he, she has a list of 100 things that she, she writes down every day. And if you think about it, gosh, 100 things. But she said, Fred, it's some of the things we often take for granted. It's waking up, the ability to walk, having food to eat. having Those are the things, and they add up really quickly. Um, you mentioned the car, the car example, which I can personally relate to, because I, before I bought my, my car that I drive, I, did, I didn't realize there were so many of them until I bought it, and then all of a sudden, every, almost every five or six cars or so, there were so many of them, like, guys, I didn't know there were so many, but you, I think you're right about what we choose to focus on, right? And, and um, we hear all these things from the media, and you know, we see the numbers, we see the death toll, not to bash the media because it provides good information, but how is the ability to disengage sometimes, right, from all that negativity um, uh, impact? How does that impact our, our ability to take care of ourselves? Yeah, it, it, it has a huge impact, and oftentimes we're not even aware of it. So uh, your, your comment about the media is really important. Right now, we are saturated and inundated with pretty much negative news, pessimistic news, um, uh, you know, whether it's about the pandemic or, or, you know, social unrest or, you know, political polarization. It's just not a, it's not a cheery picture when you watch, you know, pretty much any news coverage. It doesn't matter, you know, what station you watch. Um, I think this is important. Um, there, were, there were some studies done that I, I really think it's important for people to understand. They, they looked at the impact or distress levels of folks who went through a very traumatic experience that was widely covered in the news. So I think they, they, they looked at, for example, the, the, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing, which most people remember, uh, the Pulse nightclub shooting, mm -hmm. all these sort of really horrible traumatic events. And they compared the level of distress of individuals who actually were at that event and experienced it to the levels of distress of people who watched several hours of media coverage about the event for, for a long period of time. What they found was really surprising. They found that the distress levels were higher in wow. people who watched media coverage than people who were actually experienced the event, which is- That is, that is shocking. Mm -hmm. It really is shocking. But it points to the fact that, you know, we are absorbing all this negative news and all this pessimistic news. And uh, what I'm telling people uh, who, who really are struggling right now is try to take a fast from the media. Try to just sort of limit your exposure. It's fine to be informed. I think that's important. But you can be informed in 30 minutes max of just getting the facts. Um, but then turn it off. You know, listen to something else, watch something else, or just, just be mindful. Um, and people are reporting back that that has made a significant difference in their overall outlook, mood, and, and stress levels. So I think it's, you make a really good point, which is we need to be discerning about what we're exposing ourselves to because it does have an effect that sometimes we're not even aware of. Wow. You know, as, as a faith person, uh, Dr. Crawford, which I know you can relate to, but it's Philippians 4, 6 to 8, which, which talks about uh, not being anxious, right, and letting the peace of God, which passes all understanding, uh, rest upon you. But then it goes on to, to talk about some of the things that we need to be intentional about, right? Whatsoever things are true, pure, noble, praiseworthy, right. uh, of virtue. If there is anything, think on these things, right? Which tells me that these are, these are, these are conditions in order to be able to experience that peace. We've got to be intentional about what, what we think on, right? Would, right. You, would you agree? No, hundred percent. It, it very much is intentional and it's about, it's about what we give our attention to. A good friend of mine, Tommy Newberry, 
who I do a lot of projects with, he wrote a book called The 4-8 Principle. I think the subtitle is The Secret to a Joy-Filled Life, but it's, it's based entirely on that scripture, Philippians 4-8. And, and what he says is, it is it's vital that we intentionally focus on, meditate on, think about all those things that are worthy of praise, that are noble, that are good, that are hopeful. And it's not that we're making them up, okay? That's the other thing. Uh, it's, we're not trying to create a false reality. We are just acknowledging the things that are, that are positive, and, and really giving more of our attention to that. You know, I, I always say the, the mind is like a television set with no off button. It, it's always going. Our choice is what channel we're on. So when we find that we're putting our attention on the things that are, you know, negative and, 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 and just sort of stress inducing, um, I can change that channel and say, well, I can, th there's also this going on. Let me focus more on that and give that more of my attention. And it does have a really profound impact. Wow. How does one um, in the midst, maybe there's someone, you know, listening to this podcast, Dr. Crawford, who may have lost uh, a loved one, may have lost their jobs and, you know, really having a very bad impact from this. And they're probably saying, you know, I hear you, but how do I even start? What do I do from you? How do I even tame that mind from taking me or focusing on all the, all that negative things? Is there, are there any, practical words of wisdom here for, for whoever may be listening and may have found themselves in that situation? Sure. So, so you know, we, we, all of us at some point will go through, you know, significant loss or, or adversity. Um, you know, uh, loving people, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, the risk is we will experience loss and sadness around that. And that's grieving, right? And I, and I think we have to be aware that grief is an important process. And really grief is acknowledging the impact of the loss um, and, and not, not minimizing it, but just really acknowledging that in order to get to the place of acceptance. And acceptance is, you know, not that I like it or not that I approve of it or not that I wish it were the case, but that I'm at peace with, this is the reality and I can move beyond it. I can live a whole life even with the loss. And what we know is that um, grief never lasts forever if we allow it to, to, to happen, meaning, you know, even people who've lost, you know, very close loved ones can say, after the passage of time, uh, the waves of sadness and the waves of, of grief, they get fewer and farther between and less intense, so that they can really just sit and think about the person with fond memories and with good feelings, but the pain, the acute pain is no longer there. So grief, you got to be patient, you know, when, when you experience loss, you have to acknowledge it, you have to be patient, you have to allow yourself to, uh, to feel those things, um, and, and oftentimes it off really helps to share with someone else you know, what you're going through, and then to be able to say, but I have to also look forward and realize that there are other good things uh, currently and in the future, um, and, and, and give yourself the opportunity to kind of be acknowledge those and to tap into those and to continue living a full life. Hmm. One of the things, Dr. Crawford, that I, if there's anything that this, you know, this whole COVID thing has taught me, um, it's, 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 it's helped us to slow down quite a bit, to, to savor the moment. And I, I know you had, a, you had a thought or two about that, um, but uh, there were times, you know, proud of this, you know, we're on the go, right, getting kids into the car, dropping off them at school, doing all these activities, coming back from home, and there was, 
we're so stressed, right? Not even slowing down to enjoying the moment. But now in the midst of all that, and not to minimize or, or downplay, you know, all the things that are happening right now, but it's, it's slowed in talking to quite a few people. It's, if there's one thing that they've learned from this, it's just the, 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 the ability to slow down and enjoy, you know, the things that they often uh, took for granted, you know, pre, pre-COVID. Um, 100%, right? And I've had that conversation with a lot of people. Um, I think, uh, you know, one thing that I think is important is to, in any kind of crisis or adversity, you know, the, the one thing that it does, is it, it, it does give us the opportunity to, to develop, further develop that muscle or skill of resilience. You know, people think of resilience as a, a quality. It really is defined as a sort of a, 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 a kind of a, a tough mindset or, or mental toughness, if you will. You know, re- we think of resilience as I get not down, but I get back up, mm-hmm. which is all true. But it's not something that we're born with necessarily or something we just pull off the shelf when we need it. It's a muscle, a skill. We have to develop that skill. And it really only develops through practice and in times of adversity. And, and, and one of the aspects of resilience is moving quickly past the way we think things should be or the way we think that we wish them they were in order to get to the place of acceptance of how they are objectively. And it's only out of that that I have choices that I can exercise. And I think one of the things you said is really true. Um, most of us prior to March of this year, I think we were just too busy. Um, most people just, you know, we, we had frenetic schedules and we're always plugged in and online and very little time to think, to reflect, to just sit and, and, and just kind of uh, uh, be mindful uh, mindfulness being just being fully engaged and aware of the present moment. Um, and so I've talked to people who, you know, kids sports are canceled and, um, you know, they, they can't get together and socialize as much and activities are canceled. I said, you know, there is a silver lining here and that is it's giving you an opportunity to really practice mindfulness, which is, is being fully engaged in the present, which is really the only place we have any choice at all. I can't change the past or control the future but I have choice in the moment. And, and, and with that also, I think that you used a good word, savoring. Um, we, savoring is, is the act of fully extracting positive emotions and joy from the good things in our life. You know, and I, I use the analogy of if, if, you, if, if we went to eat at the best restaurant you could find, we wouldn't gobble down the meal in 10 minutes and, and dar- dash out the door. We would sit and soak in the ambiance. We yeah. would appreciate, you know, the smells and the, the 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 food presentation, and we would eat slowly and savor each bite. And I think we can apply that to many things in our life. Uh, uh, it, as simple as savoring an interaction with a loved one, a good conversation, a, a, a walk on a pleasant day. These are things we take for granted. But the more we can just practice the art of savoring the more we will experience the joy and positive emotions from the things that we still have available to us. And as we kind of wrap up here, it's, it's not the things necessarily in life, right? Because we keep chasing after the, the next thing, one thing or the, the other, but it's rather the experiences, right? In life, right? The memories and things like that, right? Right. So there's some research on this and, and, and I, I, I remind people, you know, if, if somebody just gave you an extra, you know, thousand dollars to spend, spend it on whatever you want. Right? Um, if you have the choice of buying a thing or spending the money for an experience, 
always opt for the experience because what we know is the, sh the half-life of a thing in terms of producing happiness is very short. But the, the, um, uh, the, the shelf life, if you will, of an experience can last for years. Um, so, so I think it's important to, to recognize what we, what we really um, take joy from and, 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 and get positive emotions are from those great experiences that we have in our life. Uh, and recalling those, that's an act of savoring as well, is, is remembering and, and recollecting uh, those good things in our life. And also uh, savoring, anticipatory savoring, they call it, things that are, are on the calendar that we're looking forward to. So there's, there's sources of joy in the past, uh, remembering great experiences in the present and also in the future. And I think it's, being, it's about developing the ability to savor those and draw from those. Um, so that's just really a, a mindset, once again, and a discipline that I think is important to develop. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more on that at all. Um, I want to give you the final words here, um, uh, Dr. Crawford. Perhaps there's someone you know listening to this podcast or, or watching and, uh, and going through some 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 challenge here. Perhaps you know just seeing you know the the bleakness and and not you know seeing any light at the end of the tunnel. You know perhaps helpless or hopeless. What would you say to encourage you know that that person right now? Yeah, so I'd say um, uh, a couple of things. One is this is going to end. Right. This is not, you know, one of, got a lot of favorite books uh, from, from scripture. Proverbs is probably my all time favorite because it's just packed full of wisdom. I but it. I also like Ecclesiastes because uh, Ecclesiastes is really a perspective getter. And, you know, uh, we quote it all the time, but, um, you know, uh, nothing new under the sun is what Ecclesiastes is. You know, what, what is, has been, and will be again. Yep. This is not the first time the world has gone through something like this, and, and, and people have survived and thrived through very difficult and adverse circumstances. So I, I say, let's draw some strength from those who have walked the path before us. Yeah. Um, they, were, they modeled resilience, and I think we need to kind of remember that and draw some strength from that. Also, uh, just I think, for, in, in my mind, for, for, for people of, of faith, this is not news to God. He, this wasn't a surprise to him. Right. He knows all things and the future is, is in his hands. Mm -hmm. and so I think it's a matter of sometimes of just saying, I just need to have more faith. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 big, the big shock of the, of, of the pandemic is it, it woke us up out of the illusion of certainty. Meaning, you know, for most of us, you know, we kind of have things planned out and, you know, things go the way we kind of expect and most days are the same. Well then March hit and that all went out the window and we were suddenly slapped in the face with everything now is uncertain, but it never was, right? I, th I think that was an illusion. And, and at first that's sort of scary. And then we say, well, you know what? That, that's okay because I can't control it anyway. I just have to allow this to not only deepen my resilience, but to maybe deepen my faith that I need to trust more uh, in, 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 a, in something higher than me. I, I'm, I'm not in control. I don't drive, I don't drive this, right? Um, and that's okay um, because that shrinks my circle of responsibility to a much more manageable level. I can only choose how I respond and, and, and do that on a day-to-day -day basis. It's, it's that moment of surrender, right? We, we like to have answers. We want to have answers. We want to be in control. But I believe this, these are times when we just have to just surrender and then trust, trust that things will work out uh, in the end for our good. Dr. Crawford, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking your time out 
your business schedule to to bring in this to work for our listeners. I've been I've been blessed by this, and I trust that whoever is listening or watching um, have been blessed as well. So thank you again for your time, peace and blessings to you and your family, and to our audiences who are listening. Again, thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Fred. Great to be with you. Great to be with you as well.